Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Recap Radio Show for this Sunday, the 17th of April. I'm JB, along with EJ, uh, who just seemed to have a technical difficulty and fell off the line there, but we'll get him back in just a moment here. And uh, coming up later in the program, we'll talk to our good friend Taryn Cooper, otherwise known as Coop. And uh, we'll be talking to her about the beginning of the Mets season, things that have been going on so far, and uh, certainly a lot to uh, report in Mets land both on and off the field, and uh, certainly uh, amongst the uh, off-the-field things, EJ, worth mentioning is uh, continued prayers and good thoughts uh, to be sent out to the DeGrom family um, after Jackson made his debut this week and uh, had a bit of a, a stumble out of the block, as it were, and sounds like he's doing much better, though. Uh, but uh, definitely some good thoughts and prayers go out to the DeGrom family as, uh, as Jackson tries to get his footing in this world. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Before we get on the air just now, you and I are having a pretty good conversation about some family-related stuff, and we've both been through the ringer with it, so our hearts uh, were definitely reaching out to, to Jake this week, but it sounds like uh, everything is progressing nicely. They said that the baby might go home tomorrow, which would uh, then put Jake in line to have a simulated game on Tuesday and then rejoin his teammates. And uh, at the end of the day, hey, if, if a slight hiccup complication ends up getting a a first-time dad, an extra week with his newborn baby, then, hey, so be it. I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly a territory that that hits close to home. Uh, I can identify with a lot of the anxieties that they have faced personally. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been tough reading that uh, about the DeGroms, but exciting to hear that the, the news is looking good at the moment uh, for them. And, you know, certainly uh, – uh, you know, as far as his on-the-field performance and uh, you know, uh, you know his injury, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, "Those aren't those aren't aren't on the list right now." Yeah, and if anyone is going, wants to be concerned about on-the-field performance this early in the season, well, I think you look no further than uh, the guy who took the hill today is proof that one start doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of a difference. You know, and the thing too, I mean, we talk about Stephen Matz, of course, who uh, pitched a. Uh, Essentially a gem today. I still saw some. Uh, I want to say I had concerns because uh, I again it takes a lot for me to have a concern at this point in the season. Uh, but uh, there were still a couple of things. I think he was telegraphing his pitches a little bit today, yet uh, significantly less. Uh, but um, you know, the, Cleveland was still just they were just not hitting them. Um, I, I don't know what their excuse may have been there. Maybe the sun was in their eyes at the plate too. Uh, but uh, I tell you, it's it's nothing. Uh, nothing a nice weekend when you hit start off a road trip and you have two out of three. And in reality, 
Um, you know, as much as you know, as much as you don't want to pile on a pitcher at the beginning of the season, uh, had Matt Harvey been Matt Harvey come the middle innings yesterday, that's a three-game sweep this weekend. Yeah, it's nice just to get the series win, being that that's the first of the season. But I said it after the last uh, Marlins game at home last week, and it's one of my most retweeted tweets of recent times where I just said, this has all the makings of something that a nice little road trip can't fix. That this, this was exactly what they needed to get away from home, get some wins. And Terry said in the press conference today, he said, we did what we wanted here. We got a series win. Now we're going to go face some guys who – uh, in theory, we're supposed to be able to handle them, and I want wins there. So hopefully that is the case. I like what Terry did today, keeping David Wright out of the lineup so he could be in for all three games at Citizens Bank Park where he basically ha- has ownership of the place. So uh, I'm definitely excited to coming off this weekend. It wasn't all gloom and doom, and for me at least, and you know, for you, we're both pretty level-headed Mets fans most of the time after the uh, two series losses you have there to what are supposedly very inferior teams. But I wasn't about to uh, cash in the season, despite what Carl Ravitch might think. By the way, worth mentioning just coming in, uh, for those listening to the live portion of the podcast, of course, if you're listening to the recording, you'll be like, yeah, duh. Um, The uh, Nationals just lost in the 10th inning to the Phillies after Jonathan Papelbaum blows the lead and then gives up the win. Uh, I will never not enjoy hearing that. Yeah, Pavelbon totally blew the save and got the loss. Um, so the Nationals lose and the Mets win. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot of people are making a big deal out of, uh, you know, 10 games in, the Mets are five games back in the Nationals. I just have a hard time, EJ, making a big deal about that when they haven't faced each other once yet. Yeah, you got 19 games against these guys still this season. I am not going to worry – I will not look at games back until Memorial Day, typically. That's when I'll start to really take a look at the standings and, and try to figure out where, when to make a move, look at some upcoming schedules. Right now, I'm just all about seeing this team click. I love what we saw today. I love how you saw pretty much the top of the order all handled their business and all the way one through down through five handling business. That was great to see. You saw some very good defense over the past few days. I actually want to – Give shout-out that I never thought I'd give. Wilmer Flores at first base the other night was damn good, and I was, I was shocked to see that. So you're seeing good defense. I think you're seeing, and I've been saying it on the show for a long time, that I want to ask Drupal Cabrera to be the Mets shortstop. It goes back to 13 the first time I said it. Yes, I looked because I like being like, ha, told you so. But he's looked very good so far. In fact, uh, one person made a comparison of him to Fonzie, and while I don't feel like the bat will ever be as prolific as Fonzie's, I get that comparison. He's a good fundamental ball player. You saw him lay down that bunt today, which was excellent. I like seeing this team just start to come together. The pitchers are the pitchers. If you're going to sit here and tell me that Matt Harvey's going to have a five ERA for the rest of the season, I'm going to tell you you're insane. Matt Harvey is going through a mechanical issue right now. Dan Worthen has already identified it and has begun addressing it. I'm sure Matt Harvey's going to be fine. I'm sure Jake DeGrom's going to be fine. <laughs> Noah Syndergaard is already just fine. And now Steven Matz is coming along. Bartolo is being Bartolo. These first few weeks of the season are just about seeing what the new pieces will fit in. And so far, they've all fit in very well. Neil Walker's had a, a good start to his Mets career. Michael Conforto, Terry puts him in the three-hole finally, something that we've all been asking him to do. The kid comes through, and now Terry says he's going to stay there for the time being. I love hearing that news. It's all about Terry figuring out what pieces fit where, 
guys figuring out how to interact with each other on the field, who's calling off this guy, who's calling off this guy. It's almost extended spring training for me these first few weeks as they really get a feel of what it's like to play alongside each other in a major league game. The one area I do have concern of is Terry's bullpen use. I think it's been kind of outrageous so far, JB, and I'd really like him to start trying to hammer home some roles because we all know the most successful bullpens are the ones where everyone knows their role. I, I, I was just chuckling. I'm just as you're talking. I'm certainly listening, but I was also uh, reading the the rundown on that uh, Phillies uh, Nationals game, and the only reason Papelbon was in was because in the top half of the tenth, uh, Harper hit a home run. <laughs> uh, it just, it so not only did Papelbon blow the game, he blew Harper's lead. That'll be an interesting <laughs> clubhouse. Oh uh, God, I love the disaster that is the Nationals. Oh, you know what? Bryce Harper, I got to say, I like him. I'm done hating Bryce Harper. The guy is just an incredible, incredible baseball player, and his entire Make Baseball Fun Again campaign has done nothing but make me chuckle. I I think the guy really loves the game of baseball, and I think he just wants to have fun with it. So I'm I'm done hating Bryce Harper. So I'm glad that his team didn't win, but uh, it's nice to see that he basically just hit what should have been a crowning achievement-type home run, only to have probably the person I – dislike most in all of baseball, blow that lead for him. There's something very bittersweet about that. You know, given the choice, that, you know, it, again, they always say if you, if you had to start your team with one guy, Bryce Harper's still not my choice. It's still Mike Trout. But, you know, I respect the talent. I respect the ability. I, I, you know, he, he's, he's still a little bit of a millennial punk in my mind. But uh, at the end of the day, he seems to play the game right. You know, and he, you know, he's doing it uh, – you know, in a good way overall. And, uh, you know, I think Yankee fans are really going to appreciate him for a 13-year run coming up here. You know, it's funny. The old uh, the old funny hashtag would be whenever a Met does something good, people would say, future Yankee so-and-so. Well, today, uh, Batances comes in for the Yankees just doing what he does, which is just ridiculous. So he's striking out 15 of the 18 guys he's faced so far in the season. And uh, he comes in, somebody sends a, a tweet out just says, Future Met, and I just had to laugh at how the uh, how the tide has kind of turned a little bit in that regard. You know, I got to say, and I, I don't want to deviate too far off the Mets here and talk Yankee baseball for all that long, but, you know, of course, obviously the Yankees made some upgrades in their bullpen this season, and, you know, the, the talk is, well, they're going to be impossible to beat in the 7th, 8th, and ninth um, this year, and, you know, probably right, don't get me wrong, but wasn't this the same Yankee team that was 66 and three last year after leading after six? Yeah, I, I, I like, guess I don't see the need to upgrade. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it's some revelation that, Hey, we, we addressed an area of weakness. <laughs> no, you took an no, area. We strengthened the strength and at most it's exactly. going to be a three game. Win. It's like, Oh, they lost those three games. Um, that wasn't the difference between them making and missing the playoffs last year. Um, but, you know, I, I guess being sixty nine and zero is better than sixty six and three. I guess I, I have to ask the Golden know, State Warriors. I suppose what they did was they strengthened the strength, but yet you still have Jacoby Ellsbury getting booed off Yankee Stadium today, which was kind of fun. Yeah, it's 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 just absolutely wacky. I mean, it's just you just kind of shake your head and go, all righty then. But you know, it's it's. Uh, it's just the nature of New York and it's the nature of things. Got to ask, as far as things go this weekend, uh, thoughts on Conforto making it uh, into the number three spot finally, something I know fans have been clamoring for for quite some time. 
Yeah, I love it. I think the kid is ready to handle it. Let's face it. If you're sandwiched in between David Wright and Yelena Cespedes, you're going to get balls to hit. And I think he's definitely going to take a pretty good advantage of that. We've seen the kid's monster power that he has, but you're also seeing that he's having good, smart at-bats. He basically is tailor-made for the three-hole, and I feel like he's grabbed onto that position. I feel like Terry, who's very often loath to move a guy into his uh, uh, spot this early in the season, he usually tinkers around. He's not quick to lock one in. Well, he says he's going to play there for a while. And I kind of got the feeling in Terry's press conference, it doesn't matter what arm the pitcher on the hill is throwing with, that it's still going to be Conforto's spot. So I think the kid is really going to thrive there. I think Cespedes is really going to come out big with him hitting in front of him. And Cess has been good thus far. I'd like to get Duda going a little bit, but you got to figure if you've got those two in front of him, he's – more than likely going to be batting with men on base, which should hopefully benefit him even more. So I think it's just perfect. I think it lengthens the lineup. I think he had no purpose being five, six, or seven. He definitely needed to get up there because I want to see this kid get lots of the bats. You know, the thing you mentioned, you mentioned Duda, and you know, one of the things that you, know, you and I asked several experts that we spoke to over the uh, over the over this winter, and from Casey Stern to Mark Carrig. Uh, Jared Diamond, when he was still uh, covering the Mets, I mean Andrew Beaton. We we've talked to a lot of different people that uh, you know we would label as experts, asking if Cespedes and Duda being back to back in the lineup was an actually good idea. What are your thinking so far in this in the season so far? Because right now I, I kind of feel like we're on the on the closer end to being right on this one right now. Yeah, I do. I think Cespedes has been good thus far. He's hit a couple of bombs, but. Most importantly, he has been getting on base, took through another walk today. Not exactly what you desire out of your cleanup guy, but he's been okay. Duda's started the season exactly like he ended the season. Duda has just not been good. He's looked bad on, the, on a lot of breaking stuff, which is just so stereotypical of Lucas Duda when Lucas Duda is struggling. I mean, honestly, I saw a couple of people making the case today, no, don't put Conforto at three. Move Cespedes up to three and put Conforto at four. I don't hate the idea. I, I wouldn't mind tinkering with that possibly. Um, I, I don't care about the righty-lefty thing, but as of right now, you just can't have those two guys because you're right now you're getting average Cespedes. You're not getting last August Cespedes, and you're not getting last late October Cespedes. You're getting uh, – he's just going along. He's getting his hits. He's a couple homers here and there, and you've got ice-cold Duda. What happens if instead of one of those guys getting hot, if Cespedes reverts back to ice-cold Cespedes, now you're going to have a huge problem. You cannot live having two automatic outs in the middle of the lineup. Sometimes you could hide it down at the bottom of the lineup. You can't do it in the middle of the lineup. So uh, Terry loves Lucas Duda. That's clear. The way he talks about him, the way he praises at him. So you would figure that no one would want to get Duda going more than Terry Collins. At this point, though, you just got to figure out the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, is that somebody you know, was saying earlier, as far as duty goes, I'm like, you know, he's only good one week a month. This is clearly not his week, um, you know, and it, but, you know, all jokes aside about Duda, I mean, the reality is exactly that. I mean, to me, I, I, I can only see it helping the Mets if they put, um, you know, somebody even right in between in between the two, you move Cabrera up to the two slot because he did some nice things in there today. I really liked Cabrera in the two slot. I don't know if that works every game. I don't know if that's something that uh, could win every night necessarily. But if you put somebody who's even a singles hitter, somebody with a good on-base percentage, 
well, one, obviously, you know, Cespedes is going to get better pitches because if everybody knows Duda's ice cold, you're giving Cespedes crap to hit. Yeah, and unfortunately, Cespedes will chase that crap far too often. I think the yeah. other problem you have here is the fact with Duda is if you're putting Conforto up in the three, well, somebody behind Duda needs to start hitting because the two hits out of Flewecki aside today, you're not getting anything out of Travis. You're not getting anything really out of Flewecki. I mean, you can't expect to get anything out of Cabrera that's of significance. It's nice what he's given you so far. Neil Walker's a nice hitter. He's cooled off a bit this past week. You need to get somebody. Honestly, what you need is you need Travis Darno to start hitting like Travis Darno. If you get Darno to start hitting like himself in the lineup, then maybe you get something for Duda. But you're right. Lucas right now is just all about all he's seeing is the low outside breaking stuff. And we all know that is something that Lucas Duda just does not typically handle well. No, not at all. Not at all. But, uh, you know, let, let's, I, I'm always interested, obviously, in getting some outside opinions. And uh, I tell you right now, some of my favorite opinions uh, in, in the world of social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc., come from our good friend, Coop. Taryn Cooper, how are you today? Hey, guys. I am fan-freaking-tastic. How are How's everything? Welcome to the season. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how is your blood pressure doing so far this season? Are, are you in panic city or are you coping uh, just well as I think we seem to both be? Uh, you know, I think that I, I was on another podcast on Thursday night and I was literally the only person on the podcast who was looking at it from an optimistic point of view. And in my, from my perspective, I didn't think anything so much optimistic as being realistic. I, one of the things that I threw out was a lot of what was going on was pretty unsustainable. Um, for instance, I, I think I, I mentioned just, you know, on Thursday, Neil Walker had a 200 batting average and a 200 OBP. I'm like, come on, in what realistic world is he going to be able to sustain something like that? Like, it's just not possible. You know, it's just, you know, small sample sizes aside, whatever – it just seemed to me like it wasn't, it, it, you know, there is such a thing as being too early to panic. Um, you know, there can be some disturbing trends, like Matt Harvey, for instance. I think everybody, probably you guys on this phone right now, probably thought that he would have been over the proverbial hump. Um, that, to me, is a little bit disturbing, that there's talk of dead arm issues in freaking April, uh, you know, the third start into uh, his season. Um, but, it, you know, it, you just take it as it comes. I think from from my personal perspective, I mean, you, you guys follow me on Twitter. You've probably seen me mention it at least a million times about how I suffer from post-traumatic mess disorder. And I think that given the trend, of probably the last decade has really kind of brought it all home, but I would say, that I've been suffering it since being four of the NLCS in 1988. You guys know where I'm going with that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But if I think about the last decade, I'm like, wow, we have had a lot, you know, it's a roller coaster experience being a Met fan, but I would say the last decade it is. So, you know, the last two weeks of games, whatever, I'm just kind of rolling with it. Um, not really jumping to any conclusions um, or any rash judgments. I mean, you guys know that I love Daniel Murphy, and I'm really upset that he's no longer a Met, but I also know that he's not going to hit, like, 900 for the rest of the season. So, it's, you know, it's all a matter of perspective and where you're coming from. 
so not a member of Panic City, but I'm not, you know, I'm not so much an optimist. I'm like, come on, guys, you know, this isn't how the season is going to turn out either. So, you know, we need to ride it out, you know. Well, it's funny you ask what reality could uh, uh, fans think that the Neil Walker will really go 200 and 200 for the rest of the year. (laughs) It's those same fans on hashtag Mets Twitter who feel that Daniel Murphy will sustain 457 all year. So it's quite an interesting sect that they have there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm a big Daniel Murphy apologist. You guys know this from following me. And I, even I know that's unrealistic. It's like he's going to come down to earth sometime. And, you know, then you're going to see, you know, the brain farts on the base path. <laughs> You're going to see, you know, the crucial errors where he should be turning his own point stuff. And so, you know, it, it'll, it'll all level out. I'm convinced it's, it's part of being a baseball fan. You see it every Yeah. The, the yeah. Mets fans, they, they've seen good Murph. They have yet to see O-Murph. And once they see <laughs> O-Murph, then they'll understand. Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, that's where, that's where, you know, you have the Daniel Murphy apologists come in and say, oh, that's endearing. It's cute. It's sweet. <laughs> and, and yeah. like, I'm glad we shipped it out. <laughs> well, it's like uh, it was last uh, yesterday, I think it was, that uh, Rich Eisen, the former ESPN anchor and uh, uh, you know various uh, other outlets, um, tweeted out, it's, uh, it's just like Daniel Murphy is continuing his October. And I'm just like, uh, do you remember that part of October? I think it was called the World Series. Where, yeah, not so much. It's not a continuation of this October. Yeah, yeah. He disappeared as the rest of the match. So, yeah, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, my gosh, this guy's the real deal. Like, that was a small sample size and so, so. <laughs> well, you know, JB, you referenced, the, uh, you referenced World Series there. And I wanted to talk to you, Coop, because you were actually – in the building for opening day this year. This is one of the first that I've missed in ages. But you've been to a lot of games at City. You've been to a bunch of opening days. Was there a different vibe in the in the air this year coming back as the uh, National League champion? That's a good question. I think in the City Field era, opening day, I would even venture to say that in opening day in 09, things were very somber. I know the three of us, we all had a, our very unique and special relationship with Dana Brand as, as an example. And yep. he, him, I yep. often said he was my personal bridge between the closing of Shea Stadium and the opening of City Field. Because he was one of the last people I saw in Shea Stadium who, you know, one of the fans, one of the, you know, the grand poobahs of, uh, you know, Mets blog, uh, the Mets blogosphere. And he was also one of the very first people that I saw at City Field. You know, Dana, he was just one of those guys. He always had that smile on his face. And I just remember seeing him the very one of, one of the exhibition games at City Field. And I was like, ah! I was so excited to see him. He's like, I oh, poop. I mean, you know how much losing <laughs> Shea Stadium meant to him. So I often think of that because even opening day that year, because it was a night game, things were just weird. People didn't know what to expect. They were like, oh, my gosh, this is a new stadium, but this is the same team that I root for, blah, 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 blah. So it's got, I think it's gotten near to the point of acceptance over the years. But I would say probably the last three opening days, probably going back to 2014, things have gotten a little bit better. There's always that little bit of hope and optimism in the air, hopes are eternal, blah, 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 in opening day. This year it was a little – I don't want to say it was, it was different – um, I don't think people were really, you know, ready to print out tickets to the World Series, but it was very special and unique because we did have something to celebrate. 
uh, we had Rusty Staub and Edgardo Alfonso and John Franco lifting up the new National League champ flag. And we all know that, you know, the three of the, those members, they participated in, in a National League champion Mets team. And they all hold some kind of special significance in each one of our hearts. Like, there's not one. I don't think there's one Mets fan that hates Rocky Staub or Fonzie. I'm not going to go there with Franco. Um, <laughs> but, Thank um, you. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I'm like, I've got some house stuff going on here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I, but there's just something really kind of special and unique about that. Um, I think also, and, and this is something, if you, you weren't there this year, it just seems like every year at City Field there's always some kind of like little bribe that they're giving us, whether it's like new food, a new stand, a new beer, just something that we're like, ooh, you know, it's more than just the game. It's like i got to wait in line for the newest, hottest burger or you know, the <laughs> Absolutely. new pizza stand or the new box. Um, it, it's just, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's been different because I think like the last three years, and it might be something, you know, as simple as the seven line, you know, being in the outfield uh, with, you know, their orange shirts and their thunder sticks and blah, blah, blah. Um, but Mets fans are going to go to opening day no matter what, you know, even if you're, you know, the most casual Mets fan or you're the biggest Mets fan that anybody knows. Um but, you know, it was kind of significant. Obviously, if there's, you know, some kind of, you know, world, world champion thing in the future, whether it's this year or down the road, I think, it's, you know, it's going to be certainly more, more significant. So I, kind of as we, as we uh, you know, we, we had the off season in between, as I joked uh, a few times that, it was literally the shortest off season the Mets have ever had with the World Series mm-hmm. ending in November. Uh, mm-hmm. But it felt like the longest um, <laughs> to, in a lot of ways. What, what was your overall feeling? Do, do you feel like Sandy and the Mets accomplished what needed to be accomplished? Or do you feel like maybe some stuff got left at the table coming into the season that uh, you know, will eventually, I would say, bite us in the rear because I still think it's a good team, but mm-hmm. some stuff they may wish they had addressed. Um, I, I'm to the extent, I, I mean, I felt like things that needed to be addressed, whether it was done to placate Mets fans, um, I, to the extent with, uh, you want to suspect us, uh, coming in and, you know, saying, I want to be here. That was really kind of the vibe that I'm getting from a lot of the players is that they want to be here. When we look at Zach Wheeler, who was almost traded last year. He wants to be here. So we're on the precipice of something really unique and special. Um, as, as far, I, I'm, I'm not really sure if there, if I'm looking at the team on paper, if there were any holes that I felt like, oh, that this really needs to be done. If anything, um, I'm not going to say that the pitching concerns me because going into the season, we're like, oh, we're, we're set, we're set for years with this pitching staff. Jacob DeGrom gets hurt. Jacob DeGrom has easily been the workhorse of this pitching staff for the past two seasons. Um, You know, we look at Matt Harvey. It's like, oh, he came back and he was just on the money after his Tommy John. It was a really successful third, blah, 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 blah. He has dead arm issues now. (laughs) So then we're looking. 
looking at Zach Wheeler down the road, it's like, okay, well, it's thing that Wheeler's going to come back this season. You know he's not going to be pitching. He's not going to be throwing 100 pitches in a game right off the bat. Um, so, I mean, the concerns that I have are not – I don't want to say they're, they're legit. Um, it's just it's concerns I think that any Mets fan is going to have right now. Um, bringing back Cephas was a huge – I feel more of a goodwill thing that they were really committed to as a team win. It wasn't even so much that Sandy just did it to placate us, which I'm sure there's some kind of margin there. It was more like Cespedes wants to be here. He wants to finish the job. That is something intangible that I don't think any Mets fan has ever seen ever, (laughs) except maybe with the exception of the late 80s teams that the guys really wanted to be there. Um, that, that, that was really, you know, my, my only concern, um, you know, is that the pitching staff, while a great strength, is, is really going to be under the proverbial microscope that, you know, what if they get hurt, then what's going to happen? Um, you know, luckily there's enough surplus uh, to kind of fill in there. And, I, I mean, I think you guys were talking about Cabrera. It, it was just like, Gosh, you know, we got like these diamonds in the rough. You know, Ashrubo Cabrera and even Alejandro de Aza, we were looking at his stats because, as you know, I, I'm married to my research assistant <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with the Mets. And, you know, believe it or not, we actually talk a lot about baseball in my, in my household. Um, I know that's kind of hard to believe. But he, he was like, yeah, the Aza's got amazing stats at uh, – we still call it the Jake, but, you know, progressive field. He's got amazing stats there. I mean, it's, it's just like it's, it's little things here and there that you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, we still have, like, this core of Cuda and Wright and Zarno and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, you bring in Yohan Cespedes, and he's always going to be a threat with his bat. Michael Conforto, this young and upcoming hitter, it's like, my God, this kid is a natural at this sport. Um, but then you've got diamonds in the rough like Cabrera and Daza. It's I mean, I I was I was kind of pleased with, with how how things went. I I mean, I and I hate and I'm like, how did I end up the optimist out of everyone? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> what realistic earth am I the optimist? But I was I was very like, especially after Cespedes because I could have taken or left him, and I I believe JB and I had that exact conversation like two days before he signed. Um, but I, I was just kind of like, oh, whatever. He can go. He can stay. I don't really care. But when he came, it was like, oh wow, like this, this is really come, kind of coming together. Um, I was very, I was very pleased with that. You know, I feel like with Cabrera, and you actually did write about it on Gal for All Seasons. Yeah, I bring it up because you screen capped and uh, my my partner's tweets and none of mine. So uh, <laughs> I'm holding that lifetime against you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, that snap. was a great article, by the way. I highly, highly recommend any of our listeners go check out that article. It was, I, I went back and reread it knowing that you were joining us today. And that was just awesome about the entire expectation of Cespedes and what you want from Cespedes. And I feel like the reason that it got Mets fans so hyped is because I think the most realistic of us, we had pretty much 99% closed the door on any chance of Cespedes ever putting on a Mets uniform again. So right. even when the rumors started flaring up that, hey, there might be some type of deal here that could work, and I, in the back of my mind, I always thought the Tigers had some type of five-year, $150 million 
deal. They were ready to hand him at any time, and they're letting him just go out and test the waters in the meantime. So mm-hmm. when it started coming to fruition, and hey, maybe this could happen, I still didn't let myself believe. And then when all of a sudden it's announced, yeah, it's going down, it was just like for Mets fans, it was almost like getting to the World Series all over again, it felt like, because you thought that we were basically going to be seeing Juan Lagares on a daily basis this year, and instead <laughs> you're getting the guy who single-handedly propelled you into the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, I, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I will admit when, you know, we were seeing games that were, you know, 2-1, to one, one nothing, and I'm like, here we go. I remember, you know, the old thinking of, oh, well, the pitching is phenomenal, but we're not hitting yet. And I, I, it was just, it, it was also kind of way too early because I know, like, in the middle of the season, you're going to have stretches like that that the bats just aren't doing anything. Um, and maybe it's, it's certainly there's a timing issue. It's who you're facing, if you're facing a hot team um, or you're facing a crappy team. Um, that's, it, it's all a sense of timing. And when Stephanus was coming back, I was like, you know what? This, this is a good thing. You know, this isn't a bad thing. You know, I, I often said, I'm like, I'm not going to cry if he comes back, but – I have to be realistic. He m- might not, and that's okay too. You know, we'll figure it out. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting looking at, at the lineup because it, you know it's not like you're seeing a, a Ray Ordonez in there, kind of just like whiffing, you know, in the eighth spot. You're like, this guy's never going to do anything. It's, you know, you're you're seeing guys who you know who could potentially hit, and it's it's pretty pretty cool if you ask me. We haven't seen that in a while. You know, I think I think the thing for me was kind of the uh, th- this winter was the you know especially with the way that Cespedes came down, uh, you know, mere days after a rumored you know five year hundred million dollar plus contract <laughs> offer from the Nationals, the, the the polar opposites this year of everybody seemed to want to play for the Mets this off season and no <laughs> one seemed to want to play for the Nationals. I mean, to the point where we talked about Daniel Murphy before. He was, what, their fourth choice for second base? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, you I had mean, people refusing trades to them. Yeah. It, it was it was ridiculous. I I, I don't know if it, it was just the vibe that, that the Nationals were giving, that, you know, there was just all this turmoil. You had their, their closer choking their young phenom franchise star, in, in, in the clubhouse, the manager just had no clue. He lost the freaking clubhouse. I mean, he's no longer there. I mean, that that's a change. I mean, Jesse Baker, you know, just makes the team better, in my opinion. I think he's one of the most underrated managers there there is. Um, but, yeah, it was like everybody wanted to come to the Mets. And, I mean, and, and why not? And, and you know, and it, I don't know how how you guys have seen it, too, is that over the years, um, and I don't know if it's because of, of how the Mets are perceived versus the Yankees. And remember the Yankees had, you know, all that great stuff going on in the late 90s and the early aughts and even winning the World Series in 2009. Remember, everyone wanted to go to the Yankees. and Steinbrenner was throwing around money like it was going out of style. And it really crippled that team from winning but then when you have guys like, you know, Carlos Beltran and Jason Bay coming to the Mets, and it's like, 
okay, you know, these are really good players. They're solid players. And, you know, they they really, you know, they, they're really great players. Other teams covet these players. And then they come here, and for a year they kind of, like, sit back and lull, and it's like, oh, they're just adjusting to New York. And I remember saying to somebody, you said, that shit doesn't fly in the Bronx. You don't have guys who are going to ease into their contract. Mark Teixeira and CeCe Sabathia won a freaking World Series in their first year, you know. That doesn't happen with the Mets. Jason Vegas, a concussion. Oh, he's, you know, out of baseball in a year. Um, Carlos Beltran, yeah, he's great, but he's like, oh, well, I was hurt all year and I was performing at about 85%. It's like, come on, Carlos. You don't, you don't, you don't perform at 85% when you sign a contract in New York. You just don't. Um, I'm, I'm, going off, I'm going off on a tangent here, but it's like now there's this perception that people want to play for the Mets, and that I'm like, floored. Really? People want to play for the Mets still? Because it wasn't like that <laughs> ten years ago. Carlos Beltran told the Yankees he would have taken a discount to play with them. Oh, I guess I got to go to the Mets now. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, one of the reasons I feel like players want to come to the Nets is the man at the top in Terry Collins. I feel like the players really genuinely play for this guy. And, you know, it's funny. Terry has taken his shots on this show before, definitely, by both of us. But probably starting from, I guess, early last season, we really have been very pro-Terry on the show. And it was hilarious. This entire offseason, we were talking about how he deserved the accolade good for him after being out of baseball for so long, uh, finally getting a winner, finally getting a Mets team that was worthy of managing, and we were glowing about him. And then all he had to do was use Jim Henderson on a second day after throwing him for 30-plus pitches the night before, and I was mother-effing Terry all over again. But for for the most part, I think he's doing a pretty darn good job inserting the new pieces into the lineup and just getting these guys acquainted with one another. Yeah, I... I will say I have been, and I, I don't like saying I'm I'm a Terry Collins fan, but I, I am. You know, I, I I would even say that I borderline on almost being a Terry Collins apologist. And I guess, you know, that all ties into the realism that I have of being a fan is that my, my friend Rich Barago, you probably follow him as Met Fan Rich on Twitter. Um, he and I are really good friends outside of the, the blogosphere. And he said to me that he always kind of defended PC because he was given chicken shit, and they said, okay, you need to make chicken salad out of it. And that's, I'm like, yeah, I don't really like that analogy, but I understand it, and I think other people will, will understand it. But it was, you know, he was kind of given a beat deal coming in. And Danny Alderson, if you remember, when he was first GM, very one of the first things he did was he cut Luis Castillo and Oliver Perez. They had these horrible contracts. They were a detriment to the team. They were hurting the team just by being there. And that was the only thing he had to do, addition by subtraction. So, um, you know, as far as TC goes, he kind of, you know, under his watch, if you think about it, the team hasn't had a lot of success. There's been a lot of individual success. We had a batting champion. We had a Cy Young Award winner. We had a rookie of the year. We had a no-hitter. All this 
stuff, you know, all we need is an MVP and that's, you know, and, and a world championship. And that's really, you know, throw out a perfect game there, you know, just for good measure. <laughs> this has happened on the team. I also think, you know, somebody like David Wright, who is perceived as the clubhouse leader, whether we like it or not, he responds well to, I think, the alpha, quote unquote. And Terry is the, the leader of the team. He's the manager. He's the skip. Davey is kind of going to show the way. And these guys really want to play hard for him. They really want to play for him. Um, that said, you know, there, there are some Terryisms, and one of the discussions that we, we had the other night was about how, um, you know, besides the Henderson thing, that he was, you know, listening to the fans too much and listening to the players too much. And I said, well, you know, when is that ever a bad thing? When, if, you know, one thing if you want to talk about the no-hitter with Johan Santana um, and how he, he shooed Terry away, you weren't dragging Johan I don't care who you are. You weren't dragging Johan Santana out of that because he did the same stuff with Terry Manuel in 2008 when he pitched that complete game, stuck into last game of the season at Shea, that kept the Mets in the race. And we all know what happened the next day, but, you know, that, that's what happens is, like, when you're a player's manager, you do kind of have to defer to, you know, to your pitcher, to your player sometimes. And that's okay. That's going to happen. Sometimes it backfires, sometimes it doesn't. It backfired in the World Series. It backfired, you know, the other day. It's just, it's going to happen sometimes. Um, But I'm, you know, it's easy, but, you know, the realist realist in me, it's easy to apologize for Terry Collins, even if he does make a mistake, even if he does go to, you know, to a bullpen guy early or he takes him out too early or whatever. When they're winning, the manager is kind of like, well, you know, he could kind of experiment there and do that wrong. Um, but I, you know, I don't really have to be with Terry. I, you know, I even said last year I'm probably one of the few Mexicans left who still likes the guy, <laughs> and I still do. Um, and but you know what? You're gonna have even you know the best managers, even you know Terry Francona or uh, the Joe Madden, anybody out there. They're gonna they're gonna make mistakes sometimes, and you just kind of have to roll with it. Terry also has a very unique way of taking the pressure off of his players. And I think that's something that is really, really critical. It's one of those intangibles to being a New York team manager is that you take the pressure off your players. That is my two cents about TC. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, you know, it's always a, a, a comical instance because, I mean, I, I, uh, our good friend Ted Berg a couple of years ago did an article about um, – the various managers around baseball and put tweets up from all fans of all 30 teams, basically slaughtering their managers for bullpen management, basically to say, <laughs> Hey, it's not just your team. Every, I mean, whether you're in first place, last place, or somewhere in between odds are you're going to disagree with how your, how your, uh, your bullpen is handled from time to time. And as I said mm-hmm. to someone the other day in the midst of the whole Henderson thing, yeah, I shook my head. Yeah. I was a bit, uh, a gog about the thing, but uh, you know, if, if it was Wally Backman, Henderson would have started the next game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jack, Jack Leather said the only person who still defends that whole thing is Mark Healy because he is the biggest 
Wally Backman for manager fan who's out there. You know, you know, I can make fun of <laughs> But there, I mean, look at Matt Williams last year. I even said, you know, towards the end of the season when Nashville still having a chance to to keep, you know, to at least compete for the NLE, keep it, you know, keep the race hot, and then it just got away from them. And that he was abusing his bullpen, I, I was like in shock. I, I said, I don't know how Nationals fans could stand for this. I would be losing my mind if I was a Nationals fan right now. And I have, I have some pretty good friends who are Nationals bloggers, and I, I said, if any Mets fan ever complains about PC's handling of the bullpen, look at this clinic that Matt Williams is putting on. And he he actually, like, retweeted me, and he was like, you know, this, this is 100% true. And a bunch of national fans are chiming in, and it's like, he's awful, he's horrible, he sucks, he doesn't. Uh, and, but every fan out there, I don't, I don't care who it is, I don't care if it's Sparky Anderson, one of the best managers in the world, Joe Torrey, you really think Joe Torrey would have been able to manage a bullpen at the NL? Come on. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't. That was why he was great for the Yankees and great for the AL. And everybody now he's a legend. He was a yeah, he didn't do so well with the Braves. Leader. He didn't do so well with the Cardinals. He didn't do so well with the exactly. Mets. Hmm, I wonder yeah, why. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He was, you know, overrated. And I, I mean, I get killed by my Yankee fan friends over that, but I don't care. <laughs> so it was one of my favorite moments of today's broadcast where Gary says, and this, of course, being our last designated hitter game for a while, and the word while wasn't out of Gary's mouth when Keith just goes, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, anybody who argues for the DH or the NL, you just need to watch Bartolo Colon take it at <laughs> That is worth its weight in coal <laughs> to keep the pitcher hitting for himself in, in the NL. It's, it, it's just priceless. You can't help but have a smile on your face when you see that <laughs> Well, as we do begin to face these National League opponents, specifically the, uh, the NL East opponents, Coop, what are you looking to, to see out of this team over the next couple of weeks as they uh, continue to delve deeper into the 2016 campaign? You know, that's, that's a really good, uh, that's a good question. I think you just have to look at kind of like the overall makeup of, of the teams that they're facing. Right now we're going into Philly, and while they actually did beat the Nationals today, um, we know that they're a very easy team to beat, as are the Braves. And Cincinnati, when they come back home, it, you know, I, I think, you know, Ed, Ed and I, because, as I said, we talk baseball a lot in our household. I know that's hard to imagine. Um, but we were, we were saying that, you know, in this 15 strike in Philly and Atlanta, if they don't win at least five of those games, it's pretty disappointing. And, oh, so Ed, Ed, Ed's actually, he's kind of like, you know, <laughs> we're, we're kind of like Penn and Teller. I'm the talkative one. He's not. He actually just wrote something for me to read. Said the Mets' next 19 games are at Philly, at Braves versus Braves versus Giants versus Braves at Padres. But I don't know about you, but I kind of like it, and I think that kind of says it all. It's a little. It's it's a relatively easy schedule, and this should you know if we're going to look at ask on the 2016 Mets, we could look at this as you know as a turning point or something that you're like. Holy shit! It's indicative of a larger problem. Whether you know somebody's arm falls off or somebody gets hurt, 
you guys were saying before that Travis Gardner was absolutely going to start hitting. I 100% agree with that. Um, you can't ha- have a catcher who, you know, who doesn't hit. I mean, that's just, you know, just my two cents. So, um, but I, I kind of like, kind of like, you know, the, the near future of this team, and it's, it's going to be a fun summer. I'll, I'll just say that. Guys. Okay, it looks like JB may have fallen off there. We were having our usual blog talk radio uh, issues. But, uh, yeah, I agree. It is going to be a fun summer. At the very least, you know, despite the early struggles, I don't feel like you're going to see a team this year that we're going to – I can't see the scenario barring critical injuries to a lot of guys where we have one of those typical years that we've had in recent past where by the end of August we've all mentally checked out and we're ready for football. I don't foresee that happening this year at all. <laughs> no, and I, I will also say that um, I, I used to have full season tickets, um, and last year we actually – it became a headache, especially in September, because we weren't going to go to all those games despite our best efforts. But yeah. we were – you know, it was always a headache because we always – not only did we have to get rid of them, our sales rep was basically, like, giving us, like, Delta Club seats for complimentary. And we're like, well, we can't turn those down, but, you know, we're just going to have to eat our tickets, which happens from time to time. But it was all just because, you know, people, you know, kids are back at school. The Mets were no longer interesting, and they were pretty much out of the race by then. And last year, I was like, wow, like, we actually want to go to games. This is pretty amazing. Um it's 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 going to be fun, you know. You're still going to have moments of panic city because crying out loud, we're Mets fans. That's it's in our DNA. Um, but that's you know, it's just the way the turd curls of being Mets fans. You're gonna you're still going to have people who are like, well, they still suck, and it's like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well. Finally, Coop, last thing for me is what do we have to do to get you blogging more frequently? Because like I said, I read your assessment article earlier today, and I read articles that you write, and I'm like, you know what? That's why I don't blog, because this is good writing compared to what I would produce. What's it going to take to get you actually blogging on a more more consistent level? Because I really love your writing. Oh, you know what? I I really, really appreciate that. And um, I'm going to let you guys in on a little, um, a little secret that I've been kind of kicking around is that my summer family might be resurrected. Um, so I, I might be bringing back um, the blog. Um, and that's been something I, I've been kicking around for actually since the end of last season because what was happening was a lot of the old blogs from like the heyday of like 06 and 07 when everyone was like on Brooklyn Mets fan, everybody was in the Mets yep. fan forum. We were all kind of forming our nouveau, you know, Facebook groups and, and Twitter people and just interacting that way. I'm like, man, you know, it's really great to have the band back together. Um, so that's something that I've been kicking around. But as far as, far as writing, I have been so busy in my personal life that by the time I get home, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to sit in front of the computer. I don't want to think. I just want to watch sports and be left alone. Um, <laughs> but that's not to say that I don't get the urge. And every now and then I'll say to Ed, I need to write about this. He goes, yes, you need to write about that. And I'm like, eh, I don't want to write. I don't want to get it. 
<laughs> this, is, this is an internal struggle that I personally had, and I even said yesterday I apologized to somebody who I actually consider a Twitter friend. I'm really looking forward to meeting this person. I said, I'm an asshole. I haven't followed you on Twitter yet, and I it took Twitter to remind me that I wasn't. I'm like, I'm not following this person. What's wrong with me? And he was like, he's like, dude, it's all good. I'm like, no. I'm like, I have been so off my Twitter game. So it's not even just blogging. It's like I have been so off my social media game. But I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting back to it. I'm, you know, Rangers are in the playoffs. Something's bound to piss me off soon. So uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, something will start firing me up, and then I'll fire off like 10 blog posts in a month, and I'll be back. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hopefully it will be Mets related and not Rangers related. Because, like I said, I like reading your stuff, and if it's Rangers related, I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> but you like my tweets. You even admitted it. That is, you know, I do. I do. I like your tweets. But I like your Facebook persona even more. You and okay. Tracy have a, a a fun back and forth that I can definitely relate to. <laughs> well, I I appreciate that, and you know. You're not the only ones who have been on my case about blogging more, so I, I promise that that will happen in 2016. Well, and it's you know for those fans who like to follow along during a game, it's it's not only you but both you and Ed. It's just I mean it, it's it's not the same watching a game without you guys participating. You, know, it's, you, you make the game you make the game beat. Oh, I, you know I really appreciate that, and some. I mean, sometimes even the stuff that happens in my home, I'm just like, I need to share that on Twitter because that, that's what, it, what it's like in here. I mean, we're, you know, we're a baseball family. We're a sports family. And some of the stuff that we talk about or just give each other, like, the stink eye about, I'm like, that's all on Twitter. Not, nothing safer in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Coop, I'll tell you, if you guys, if you do decide to get my summer family back together, anything that we can do to be a support to you and to get the word out there, you know that we're, we're all over for you. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, don't worry. I will, you know, you guys will be first on my list to know when I, when I do publish there. It'll be soon. It'll be sooner rather than later. Well, we certainly appreciate it. Coop, appreciate you hanging out with us on a Sunday and, you know, I, I think if you go out there, we both you can tell from both of us we appreciate the friendship. Oh, oh I, I appreciate you guys you know staying on top of me to to be on the show because I think I've had to turn down like at least the last few times you asked and it, it just so happened that I I had downtime today, which is kind of a you know, weird phenomenon because it seems like I haven't had a free Sunday in forever, so <laughs> but uh well, we will certainly it. talk soon, and uh, we appreciate it. And like, like I said, uh, it's been a it's been a blast talking to you over the last hour. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You guys too. And yeah, let's go, Matt. Let's go, Matt. Well, that's our good friend Taryn Cooper talking, uh, otherwise known as Coop. EJ, and yeah, I, I, there's no BS there. Now that she's off the line, one of my absolute favorite people on Twitter, and one of my favorite people to talk to during a game, along with. Her husband, Ed, they are two of the most knowledgeable, fun, and snarky fans you'll ever meet. Yeah. The nice thing about them having seasons, too, used to be uh, always had a good chance to meet up with them whenever I was at City. So uh, hopefully I'll get that opportunity again because they're as real as it gets, they're as fun as it gets. They're a really cool couple to hang out with. So uh, hoping to get to do so again at some point this this season. And and they and they travel. They happened to be out uh, two years ago for the series against the uh, Mariners, and so I got to hang with them at Safeco two years ago for a couple games, and that was a blast as well. 
Yeah, just a good time. It's when you talk about. I mean, it's so appropriate that Coop mentions that the blog they're thinking about starting back up is called the Summer Family because I definitely adopted members of hashtag Next Twitter is what I consider part of my summer family along with the original gang at the, from the Happy Recap and uh, Coop is definitely what I consider a member of my summer family. Absolutely, you know it's kind of funny. We talked a lot about last year that uh, you know knowledgeable fans and uh you know we mentioned our, our good late friend dana brand and you know one of the other folks that kind of carried on the torch for dana and, and just in a you know in his own right a great guy is our good friend greg prince from faith and fear and flushing and uh i think you know by now he, he has a new book out himself amazing again talking about the 2015 mess and i'm pretty stoked he's going to be with us next week to talk about that yeah i've given myself the homework assignment to get through that book this week it's not like it's an actual chore given that it's being written by Greg, which means it'll be perfect. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to plow through that this week because if Greg writes it, I want to read it, and he's writing about what was one of the most enjoyable seasons to be a Mets fan that I can remember in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, I've said this a couple times so far on this podcast, if you like reading a book, this is a good year to be a Mets fan um, because there's a lot of good ones coming out. We've talked about Ron Darling's book. We've talked to uh, – We've talked to um, Eric Sherman two weeks ago about his uh, book about the 86 Mets. You've got um, Greg's book, and I know Matt Silverman's got a book coming out about the 86 Mets. Another one I'm looking forward to, we'll have him on in a couple weeks, is uh, Howie Carpin, who is um, you know, a former journalist, also uh, currently one of the official scorers at City Field. And he's got a book talking about coming out talking about the history of Kiner's Corner, which – yeah, that's a piece of my childhood watching uh, Kiner's Corner after a Sunday game. So I'm really looking forward to that one as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the people I follow on Twitter today said, hey, the Mets just played a 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon game on PIX. Why isn't Kiner's Corner on now? And that made me chuckle because, yeah, that, you're right. That is a huge part of the childhood, and that's going to be a, a great book to read. And, you know, where you have a team that's only had so many successful years, it seems like you could really – oversaturate the, the market with books relating to one subject. So for him to do a book on Kiner's Corner, it's such a unique thing to cover, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. I mean, and it had a long history, too. I mean, I think they were doing Kiner's Corners as an occasional feature on S&Y up until well, maybe two or three years before Ralph passed. I mean, yeah. so we're talking, about a, we're talking about a show that had almost a 50-year run. Yeah, and had pretty much anyone who's anyone at some point or another pass through Kiner's Corner. Yeah, and that, not just Mets. I mean, you name it. If, they're, if oh, they no. played the last 50 years and are in the Hall of Fame, they certainly were on Kiner's Corner at least once. And if they weren't, they may have been on there too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's going to be a great book to read. And it's definitely going to have me take to YouTube to uh, find some old Kiner's Corners uh, videos. Yeah, there's, there there are definitely some classic clips over the years that I have seen and when they've shown highlights and whatnot, uh, usually of the more Kiner-esque gas that uh, Ralph was so beloved for, uh, but um, definitely some good moments as well. And uh, it, like I said, if you enjoy a good book and you're a Mets fan, this is a good year to be a Mets fan. Yeah, absolutely. Good reading about this past and hopefully – uh, a rooting interest in what will be a very successful present. Yeah, absolutely. And another one, we'll definitely, we weren't able to get him on when it first came out, but uh, definitely would like to get Steve Ketman on to talk about his book, uh, 
of course, Baseball Maverick, which is out now in paperback with an extra chapter on the 2015 Mets, talk about a prophetic book. <laughs> we all mocked it when it first came out based on the title, but at the end of the day, <laughs> Sandy got it done, so good for him. Absolutely, and nobody believed in him more than Steve Ketman, so we'll definitely try and get a hold of him and get him on here to talk about that as well. Well, EJ, you know, uh, we're, we're still a game behind 500. I have good hopes for the next uh, week or so, playing some really bad teams. Even though the Phillies kind of had our number at home, I feel really good going into Citizens Bank Ballpark, and I feel like uh, you know, with winning one today that we could be meeting back here next Sunday on a seven-game winning streak. Yeah, I hopefully uh, – I, I said it earlier today that of one of these two series, I need a sweep. I, I want to see them sweep a bad NL East team and kind of like just be like, hey, that first week was a hiccup. This is really who we are. This is what we do, and this is how we roll. So Citizens Bank Park, as we know, has been a happy hunting grounds for us. So hopefully they can go into Philly and just absolutely stomp them out in a, in a fashionable manner. Absolutely. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a week for baseball. we talking to Greg Prince next week. Again, want to thank Taryn Cooper for joining us. Cooper, and of course, uh, you know, find her on Twitter. And again, you must also follow Ed as well. And, uh, you know, to, to get there, we'll tweet out their information. So make sure that you follow them both as well. And, uh, you know, definitely check them out and make them part of your game day Twitter experience if you aren't already. And, well, you know, us as well. That'd be kind of cool. But, uh <laughs> We're not as much fun as they are. Well, it depends on how many drinks I have in me. <laughs> Fair point, my friend. Fair point. Well, uh, any final thoughts? No. Like I said, just go out there and handle your – this is handle your business time. So you've you got to rack up those wins in the NL East all you can. So I want to see him just go out there and do it. And uh, I want to see Thor go out there and uh, take over the city of Philadelphia much like he did Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100% and look forward to it. I look forward to our conversation next week. Until next week, my friend, let's go Mets. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.